Turn to John chapter 8. I'm reading one verse. That is my text this morning, John 8, 12. Um, one verse. Famous verse. You probably heard it, uh, at least heard it referenced. And it really, it's, it's somewhat works in tandem with what we looked at two weeks ago. I know that seems like forever ago uh, when Jesus said, uh, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. Um, when he did that, he chose a really specific time. It was after this important Jewish festival, um, and he was trying to communicate himself, uh, communicate something about himself in a very specific time, in a very specific way. Uh, if you remember, it was right after the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles, and there would have been this ceremonial pouring out of water in front of millions of Jews to commemorate this is how God took care of us in the wilderness, our ancestors, and Jesus, with that as the backdrop, stood up and went, hey, um, that's close, but you're missing it. I'm water that doesn't run out, and a relationship with me is much different than kind of, you know, your religious ritual. And so, in the same way, he does that in our text this morning. Um, It's right on the heels of, of, you know, this event that Jesus illustrates something about himself at a very perfect moment. Um, He calls himself the light of the world, and uh, I'll tell you why it was at the perfect moment. Um, So let's dig into that, see what he means when when we sing, when we hear Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light of the world. What does that that look like um, for us? So John 8, 12, one verse is our text. Let me read it. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray and ask God to help us get that. Father God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, as we examine the ministry of your Son, as we look at his claim to be light, to bring light, to shed light, to offer light, Lord, would you make sense of that for us? This is life and death stuff that's happening on the morning of September 13th, 2015. Because in this room, Lord, there are many who think that they see, but they don't. So through the power of your spirit, Lord, would you free people from darkness? Would you call us to light? Show us what that looks like. And would you affirm perhaps anew in our hearts that you're with us, guiding us when we walk in the light. We love you. We ask these things only in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Have any of you ever been caving? Like pretty legit caving, not like just walked through like a cave, but you've been like caving? Yeah, I didn't think so. Most people hate it. Most people are claustrophobic and it freaks them out. Um, A couple of years before, I only took you seniors to Fall Creek Falls, I think, once when, during my, my junior high iron-fisted rule. Um, but a couple years before you guys were able to go, they shut down uh, a cave near Fall Creek Falls. Camps Golf is what they call it. But I used to, year after year, uh, would take people into that cave. And my boss, Brent Wilkins, uh, he's like an expert spelunker. Uh, like, he's amazing at it, like, you know, known around the country for being a, a, uh, a map guy who goes into unknown caves and maps them and all this stuff. But he would meet us up there, and I would take groups into this cave, and there were, like, different levels. There was ones like, ooh, we're caving. Like, you walk three feet into it and then leave. Uh, but then there was, like, extreme caving, 
where, I mean, we actually went, I mean, probably a mile back. And I'm telling you, it's a terrifying experience. If you're claustrophobic, you can't do the caving. And certainly if you're scared of the dark, you don't want to do the caving uh, as well. But I would take people, we would go back pretty, pretty far into one of the big rooms. And I would do this thing year after year where, you know, obviously everyone has headlamps or flashlights. And I would get them into kind of a small space. Um, and I would have everyone one by one cut their flashlights off. And I'm telling you, you can't, you've never experienced darkness until you're a mile deep into an underground, you know, cave. Uh, as when everyone's light goes off and you are just, I mean, you can, you can almost feel the darkness. It's not like being in your room where like there's kind of a street light, you know, that's, that's poking through the, the shades. You're like, oh, it's pretty dark. I mean, zero source of light at all. I mean, it's just the darkness is thick and real, and it's, it's kind of frightening. Again, because you're not in a situation often where it's just unbelievably pitch dark. So I would do this thing, and I would reference this text, and, and kind of my point would be to say, hey, this is where we are. This is where our culture is, apart from a knowledge of and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And after that, you know, we kind of make our way back out into the big opening, and, you know, the closer you get to the source of light... The more understanding there is, the more sure you are about putting your foot here, the more you can see things clearly. And the main point that Jesus is communicating to his audience is similar. With the backdrop being this festival of lights is what they called it, and it's where these huge torches were lit to go, hey, this is commemorating where God sent a, a, a pillar of fire to guide his people you know, out of the exodus. We're, we're, we're going to commemorate that. And that is the backdrop. Jesus stands up and goes, those lights are burned out. I am the light. And whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Hey, really quick, I just want to challenge all of you to put your phones up. Uh, it's, it's been a little while since my, my PSA about phones. Uh, it's not only distracting to your soul, it's certainly distracting to other souls. So uh, unless you're taking notes or looking up the text uh, that I'm preaching, which I don't think that's what's happening uh, right now, uh, just, just put them up, I promise. That's a challenge. It's not a beating you. It's just a challenge um, because I want you to get uh, the beauty of Christ's claim here that he really is the light. So that is the backdrop. Jesus stands up, and his point that he really wants to make is this. Sin brings blindness, but I, Jesus, bring vision. Sin brings blindness, Jesus brings vision. You know, many times throughout the scripture, the imagery of darkness and light is used. It's used a lot. It's used in the Old Testament. It's used a lot. I mean, I think 16 times just in the Gospel of John, John refers to Jesus as the light. But it's used a lot, and it's used to kind of illustrate the difference between knowing God and not knowing God. Those who know God can see. Those who know God, there is light. Those who do not, there is darkness. It's a pretty easy illustration to get. But what I want to spend the next few minutes uncovering is why it's such a powerful illustration and, and how we can know, because this is important, how do we know if we're walking in the light? How do we know if we're walking in and by the one true light? Or have we maybe just gotten used to bumping into things and kind of stumbling around in the darkness and we don't even know that we're in the darkness, but we are? That's an important question that I want to uncover, so I want to jump right in. And my first point is this, stumbling in the dark. Well, what is darkness? 
the majority of you in this room, you are churched. You know, you've, you've been in church. You've gone to church, probably a large chunk of your life for most of you. So you've heard this kind of terminology. Oh, the world's a dark place. Sin makes darkness. Well, well, actually, what does that mean? Again, it's a term that's used often to depict something very important about natural man and our natural state and about our culture. So I want to put some legs on, well, I mean, what is darkness? Well, the Bible uses several different ways to define darkness. Um, one is that darkness represents ignorance. You know, you've heard someone use the, the phrase like, oh, she's just in the dark about that. I mean, you know what that means. It's like she's clueless. She doesn't know what's going on. She's ignorant of this piece of information or the situation. She's in the dark. So the Bible uses it to say someone who's in the dark is just ignorant. They, they, they don't know. In fact, Psalm 82 verse 5 reads this. Have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. But wouldn't you say that describes our culture pretty well? Wouldn't you say that describes even people that we know that we're really good friends with really well? They neither have knowledge nor understanding. They, they walk about in darkness. So one component of darkness is that a person or a culture is just simply ignorant or clueless concerning what is true and what isn't. Concerning what is lasting and what isn't. They're just, they don't know. They're clueless. They're ignorant. Uh, another usage of the term darkness is that it represents evil or fear or bondage. You know, kids are scared of the dark. Why? You know, because ghosts or monsters or something evil, you know, is lurking in the unknown. It's lurking in the dark. John chapter 3 verse 19 tells us, The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, the bent of every human heart is we want to stay under the rock of sin. Even though it's miserable, even though it's bondage, even though it's a chain, we, we, we want to stay under that rock because I'm telling you, the natural bent of our hearts is to love darkness and to hate the light. Because light is bright. Light is exposing. It shows us things about ourself. It shows us things about our culture that really aren't pleasant. We don't want our sin exposed. We don't want it talked about. We don't want someone's el someone else's life to reflect maybe where we've gotten it wrong. Now, you've experienced this probably. If you're, if you're a faithful believer who's walking with Jesus in faith, surely you've seen this concept in your own context, haven't you? Um, have you ever tried to maybe lovingly confront someone who has zero desire to be in the light? Sometimes it's not even verbal. Sometimes it's not even words that you're proclaiming or asking or saying. Sometimes just the way that you live can be offensive or abrasive to a surrounding culture because it's shining in areas that they don't want any light in. You know how when you walk into a dark room, like it's pitch dark and you can't see anything, but if you kind of just chill out for a second, your eyes adjust? You know what I'm saying? You walk into the room, it's totally dark, but if you just, you know, you give it a few seconds, your eyes start to adjust and you get used to the darkness. Well, we're in a culture, we're in a context where we're very comfortable in the darkness. And our eyes have kind of adjusted to the darkness, and that's just kind of what we do. We've come to think that darkness is normal, that it's okay and it's really not so difficult or it's really not so bad. 
Well, what does it look like for people who physically have great vision and seem to be, you know, walking through life, doing it okay, and yet they're blind, stumbling about in the dark? What can that look like? Well, just a few tiny examples. Uh, sexual sin is, is really not that big of a deal in the darkness, right? Our eyes have adjusted and we're like, oh, well, that's, it's really not that big of a deal. I don't feel like it's that big of a deal. And I'm in a culture that tells me who's very comfortable living in the darkness that it's really not that big of a deal. Or maybe the things that we laugh at or the ways that we choose to entertain ourselves really aren't that big of a deal in the darkness, when there's no light to really expose and really shine in and, 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 and reveal things for what they are, offensive and abrasive and hurtful to a holy God who made the world. When there's no light to really show us truthfully these areas, these things, we can kind of make up the rules. And, and as long as we keep the lights real dim, we're like, oh yeah, that didn't look so bad. Yeah, yeah, my eyes are kind of, I, I'm kind of moving about this life. Okay, I'm moving about in my relationship. Okay, I'm bumping into things every once in a, uh, you know, once in a while. The corner of a desk is stabbing me in the legs. I can't really see, but I'm, I'm kind of comfortable feeling my way about, making up the own rules, barely seeing. You know, our relationships are okay in the dark. In the dark, we live for ourselves. We don't see ourselves for who, who we really are, right? Because even if there is a mirror, we can't see. So we stumble about in darkness, all the while looking okay on the outside. And yet Jesus is offering to a dark world, to people who simply are blind and cannot see. His offering is genuine. His offering is real. And in essence, he's saying, hey, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to be trapped in darkness. You don't have to stumble in the dark. And so that's when he would submit this. Hey, you can walk in the light. You don't have to stumble in the dark. You can walk in the light. Second point is walking in the light. What Jesus is offering here in himself is, is clarity. Okay, think about that word. It's seeing something clearly. He's offering clarity or he's offering day vision. Right, our eyes at night in a dark room, they can kind of adjust. You still really can't see well, but they, they, you're kind of adjusting. He's going, hey, in the daytime, you know, if you were to lose something on the field out there and look for it at two in the morning, it's going to be probably more difficult than if it's noon and the sun is burning bright and you can see everything, to, you know, go look for it then, right? He's offering us day vision for how this life is supposed to be viewed, for how this life is supposed to be lived. Have you all ever seen, I think it's a Claritin allergy pill commercial. That it's, it's some kind of allergy medicine where um, it's an advertisement where the lady walks outside and everything's real blurry. And then she pops the Claritin and, you know, like 13 minutes later, it's like, bring, you know, the camera brings everything in focus. And it's like really bright colors before it was real dull and blurry. She takes the Claritin and like it's all of a sudden, you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen this commercial? This is, this is what Jesus is offering, I mean, in an unbelievable way. This is what walking in the light looks like. It's literally like a light switch that's flipped that helps us to see things the way that they're supposed to be seen. And here in this scene, again, the backdrop of these huge torches that would have been lit during this festival to show how God gave us light. He gave us a, a, a fiery cloud during the exodus those torches would have been burned out by now because it's after the festival. But he's standing in front of him going, those lights worked for a time. 
They illustrated something for a time. But let me tell you this, I don't burn out. I'm not like your flashlight on your iPhone that you leave it on long enough and don't charge it. It's going to die. It's going to go out. I am offering not just to give you tips to help navigate through some of the darkness. Oh, I don't want to bump there. I need to see a little bit of my path there. I'm offering you an end to darkness. I'm offering you daytime, constant. And, you know, also of note, it's important to hear that Jesus doesn't say, hey, I am a light of the world. He's not making himself an option to to better your understanding or better your life a little bit. He says, no, 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 I am the light. I'm the only light. Any other illumination is counterfeit and it's going to burn out. And there's a million different ways that people look to counterfeit lights, right? I mean, a million different ways. Philosophy. You know, you look in antiquity and I mean, Plato and Aristotle, I mean, they cast sort of a light on things, right? Or Western humanism. I mean, you have the so-called enlightenment, and that teaches us so much. And, and now, because of that, we're super advanced with no more war, no more social injustice, no more moral decay, right? I mean, we're on a good path, right? Walking in the light also has a distinctive look and a feel about it. Again, this is one of the, the goals of looking at this text is not just... Oh, yeah, I understand conceptually spiritual blindness, spiritual darkness, oh, Jesus is the light. I want you to know, and Jesus wants you to have great clarity on this, this issue as well. I want you to know, are you, are you walking in the light or are you not? Because there's really no in-between. And, you know, one of the dangerous things about a comfortable American cultural Christianity is that we think we have the the liberty, at least in high school and college and kind of some of the early years, to kind of have a halfway existence. Well, I don't want like daylight on everything yet because that's very exposing and seemingly very restrictive and very limiting, but I just kind of want like a lamp. Like I I still want to lurk around in the dark in some areas, but but I also don't want to, you know, walk off the edge of a cliff in the dark. And I think that's where many of you are. And texts like this, I think, challenge that understanding of, am I in the dark? Not just do I have a few answers to some spiritual equations. Not just do I have the occasional feeling of, oh, man, Christianity seems cool. Jesus seems awesome. But are you in the light? Do you love the light? It's got a distinctive look and a feel about it. And listen, that doesn't mean that we're not going to trip. That doesn't mean that we're not going to let a tree branch, you know, smack us in the face from time to time. But it does mean that there's a clear vision of why we're doing what we're doing. We see the things the way that they're supposed to be seen. Someone who's walking in the light, you know, sin is a big deal to them. All of us, even the hidden stuff. The hidden stuff that's in there, the hidden stuff that's in there that no one else might ever know about or might not even think is that big of a, what do you, come on, you're prideful? Oh, big deal. You're not killing anyone. You're not sleeping around. Oh, you're, you're, you're envious? Oh, uh, we all are. We're in America. Oh, like that's a big deal. You're not you're not seeking God's word for wisdom and counsel and really trying to to be fed by it and and be in it to know God. Come on, you're a good boy. You're a good girl. 
For someone who's in the light, even the stuff that no one else is going to know about is a big deal to us. For someone who's walking in the light, the list of things that the world puts over here as being the most ultimately important things to the human existence, we, we reverse those and we kind of put them at the bottom. And we put, you know, whatever this thing calls us to, that governs our lives. It's at the top. So this list of priorities that the world says, this is important, go do this, go do this, get this, get this, be that, that none of that really matters. And we, we flip those things. That's what someone who's walking in the light looks like. You know, and as a side note, and man, I could spend at least three sermons on this. For someone who's looking to the light, walking in the light, what does Jesus say in Matthew to those who, who have the light? He says, now you are the light of the world. You see how that works? So when we're resting, when we're abiding in Christ, when we have been affected by the light, all of a sudden we become ambassadors and people see that light through us. Guys, as important as it is to understand what walking in the light, what having you know, clear sight and a focused resolve is, you can get these first two things and totally miss the gospel if you're not doing this, following the light. You can totally get, man, yeah, I know what it looks like, feels like theologically. I have a category for what it means to be blind, spiritually blind. And I also like this concept of Jesus being a light. That, that, that sounds good. That resonates. Okay, if I can't see, if I'm blind and I could unknowingly walk off the edge of a cliff because it's dark and I can't see. I love the idea of someone handing me a flashlight and being able to navigate my life in a way that I don't bump into things or walk off the edge of a cliff. I like that. You can get those two things theologically, conceptually, and totally, totally miss eternity. Totally miss the gospel. This is the critical point to understand. Because what is Jesus doing? He's calling people out of the darkness. What does he make clear? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. He doesn't say, everyone will not walk in darkness. I'm going to sprinkle some Jesus dust on the world and take it how you want it. He says, whoever follows me. He puts... A, a requirement of whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Guys, nothing changes if we simply acknowledge that, yeah, there's some confusion, some darkness in me at times. Jesus seems like he could maybe help me out. Oh, well, back to stumbling. That's, that's not the way that salvation is designed. That is a walk down the cereal aisle at the Kroger and kind of pick and choose what parts of uh, Jesus that I'm going to take. And, and, and that is not the real Jesus of this Bible. And he makes it very, very, very clear. It's very important that we understand there must be a following. There must be action. There must be a moving, a changing. Remember, what is the light of this festival representing? It's remembering this cloud of fire, a light that is used to guide people and ultimately save them from bondage. They're slaves. They're being led out of slavery. How? By the light and they're following it. If they stood in the desert, if the Israelites stood in the middle of a scorching hot desert and they go, 
Man, look at that. That's a cloud that is of, made of fire. That is awesome. And it just keeps moving and moving and moving and moving. They're like, man, that looks really, really cool. And they don't follow it. They don't follow it through valleys. They don't follow it over mountaintops. They don't follow it through water. And they just look at it and observe it and go, that's great. They're going to burn up. In the middle of a hot, scorching desert, they're going to fry. There was a moving, a following. What was it? A trusting. Guys, that's what following is. It's a surrender to you. It's a surrender to the way you think the way your life should be lived. It's a surrendering to the way you think that these things that are valuable really aren't so valuable. It's a trusting. It's a following. It's a, it's a moving. You know, the word follow in the original language has, has a much more rich meaning than it does to us today. When you read about following in the New Testament, it's written in Greek. The word is used of a soldier who would follow his commander into battle. No matter what the commander said, no matter where he said, he knew the commander was good and a soldier would follow him. That's what follow means. Follow also meant it was oftentimes used of a servant who was ready to spring to his master's service at any time. This servant is so sold out, he's so committed to his master that at any time I'll do anything that you say. The word following was used of one who was obedient to the laws of the state. This is the law, it's been given, I'm going to follow it, I'm going to be obedient to it. To follow is to trust, to trust is to obey. And Jesus makes that very clear throughout his ministry. You're not a Christian because you like me. You're not a Christian because you like conceptually this condescension thing that I've done and a substitutionary atonement. That's not what makes you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is that there's action that follows me giving light to your eyes in life. There's obedience, even when you don't feel like it. You know, feelings, man, they have a place because God gave them to us. He designed us as humans who have, you know, we're, we're made up of of. Not just flesh and bones, but feelings as well. But good grief, do we worship them? We worship them. And so if we don't feel like doing a thing, then we're not going to obey that. And yet that is what Jesus is saying. If you follow me, if you trust me, if you obey me, then you're going to walk in the light. Following is where true life is found, and yet it is altogether costly. You know, it's another misconception that we have is, sweet, darkness stinks. I'm going to sign up for this light club, and it seems like it's going to be pretty easy, pretty lighthearted. And, uh, you know, I've got to pay my membership dues every once in a while, which, you know, maybe is once or twice a week doing a church thing or dusting off the old Bible once, you know, a couple times a semester. And I'll pay my membership dues, but uh, other than paying my membership dues, I'm certainly not willing to give everything. Commentator James Montgomery Boyce says this, The path that Jesus walked is the path to crucifixion. It leads to glory, but before that, it leads to the cross. Such a path can be walked only by the one who has died to self and who has deliberately taken up the cross of Christ to follow him. That's what it looks like to follow the light. You know, oftentimes we're scared of anything that doesn't sound completely passive. Oh no, that's, that's assaulting grace to say that we do something. 
Now, guys, if you think that we can do anything to kind of flag down God, get his attention, and go, hey, I'm a good boy, I'm a good girl, now will you save me? Then, then you're just, you're, you're nuts. You're playing crazy, and you're spinning your wheels, and you're working in vain. But if you think the whole of your life is to be spent going, well, it's all grace from here. I'm going to sit in my recliner and see what happens. Then, brother, sister, I will challenge you and tell you that you are not a believer. It is not a passive thing to take up your cross daily and die to yourself, die to your wishes, die to your desires. That is not passive. Now, it's fueled, it's powered by grace. It's only made possible by grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit. But my friends, it is a battle. Does it seem radical to follow at all costs? I mean, think about that. I don't know if you've ever really weighed the cost. Think about that. I mean, that's giving, that's a, a willingness to give up everything about who you are, everything about what you have. I mean, does that seem radical? It is. It absolutely is. To hear you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 6. He goes, hey, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. To hear that, is that not the most un-American, backwards, restrictive-sounding thing ever? To someone who's blind, it absolutely is. Unless you're in the light, unless if you're in the light, you see the autonomy and the freedom for what it is. It's a sham. We've all lived in that, right? Oh, man, I'm free. No one tells me what to do. I can do what I want to. I do what I feel. I make my own truth. It's a sham. It's bondage. It's chains. And when you're in the light, then hearing you're not your own, you're bought at a price. That becomes the most sane, logical, freeing, joyful thing one could ever hear. It's not restrictive. It's not bondage. Freedom is. So my question is, are you following? Y'all are church kids, most of you. You get point one, you get point two, but this is something only you can answer. Are you following? Are you simply admiring from afar? I mean, it's amazing how many people claim to be Christians, which is what? Christ followers. Christian is to follow Christ, and yet they walk in the exact same way that the world is walking. Drawn to these same things. Setting the same goals, having the same desires. Looking the same, posting the same, dating the same. Wanting all the same stuff. You're going, how? How? That, that's darkness. We've established that the world is a dark place that doesn't see things the way they're supposed to be seen. But you look just like it. You're following in the same way. I mean, Jesus made it pretty clear. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. That means if you're consistently walking in darkness, you're not following that's not my assessment. It's Jesus's. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. I'm not asking you, are you sinless? You're not. I know. Trust me. But I'm asking you, are you consistently satisfied to walk in darkness? I'm going to read this little thing and then I'll be done. I hate to read to you two sermons in a row. I read a lengthy thing last time, but it's just too good. I've been in this uh, as, par- as part of my, my own personal devotion 
Paul David Tripp, one of, my, one of my heroes. Listen to this. He's describing a guy who's blind. This is unbelievable. I want you to listen. He lived in the darkness for so long, he didn't know that it was dark. Dark was normal, and since he'd never experienced light, dark didn't seem dark to him. It wasn't as though he woke up in the morning praying and longing for light, and it wasn't that he had to work to accept the darkness. No darkness was all he'd ever known. Sure, he fumbled around, bumped into things, and fell down a lot, but none of it bothered him. It was what every day was like for him. He didn't really long to see. He didn't long to see because he didn't know that there was anything worth seeing. He really didn't think, he really did think that he saw all there was to see, darkness. He didn't have an accurate sense of size, shape, or color. He had little sense of beauty. He didn't really know what things looked like because the darkness he lived in was so pervasive that the objects around him were but shadows, blobs, blurs. He had no idea what he looked like because he'd never really seen himself. He thought he knew what he looked like because he touched his face and run his hands down his torso, but he'd never seen himself in the light. He was actually quite content in his darkened world, and he was quite happy to do what people do when they live in a dark place. He just got up every day and did what you do when you can't see. Except he didn't know that he couldn't see because he'd never seen, because he'd always lived in darkness. Are you, are you, is it registering yet? I mean, do you picture you? Do you picture people that you know? Life seems to be pretty lighthearted and easy and fun and cool and great. Like, I don't know any better. It seems right. Then it happened one day. He hadn't longed for it. He hadn't asked for it. It just happened. A shaft of light exploded into his world. And at first it scared and confused him. He didn't know what it was and his eyes didn't seem able to take it in. All he really knew was that it was different from the darkness that he had always known. It was bright and beautiful and it hurt his eyes, but he couldn't stop looking. He couldn't keep himself from walking toward the light. The closer he got to the light, the more he began to see what was around him. There was a whole world of shapes and colors he'd never seen. But something even more profound began to happen to him. It was shocking, disturbing, and exciting all at once. The closer he got to the light, the more he saw himself. The first thing he realized is that he was naked. For the first time, he felt naked. For the first time, his nakedness made him uncomfortable. But he not only realized he was naked, he realized he was dirty. And not only was he dirty, he was confronted with the fact that he was lame. He kept walking toward the light and he felt joy as he did so. But the joy was mixed with grief. As he walked, he began to weep. He'd never wept like this before. He wept at the pain he felt over his condition. See what's happening? He's starting to, oh goodness, I'm starting to see things for how they really are. He'd not known how dirty he was. He'd not known how crippled he was. And he felt overwhelmed at what he did now know. He was stunned by the fact that he'd been this way since birth and he'd never known it. He was shocked that he'd never figured out that he moved with a limp. His shock was quickly mixed with the deepest longing he'd ever felt. It was like he was starved for something he'd never eaten but now wanted desperately. For the first time in his life, he wasn't satisfied being crippled. He wanted to be healed. And though he didn't understand the light uh, in the fullest sense, for the first time in his life, he wanted to live in it. He remembers well those darkened days in that darkened place. He remembers it all with a broken and a celebratory heart. And he's very aware that not only has he been cleansed and healed, he's been given the ability to see as well. And he's deeply grateful that he's been clothed with what he couldn't purchase. And that deep within him has been placed the desire to be clean. 
I, I can't think of a better thing I've ever read that illustrates what being born out of darkness into light looks like, what it feels like. My question would simply be to you, is that anything close to your story? And maybe in a very simple way at age nine, you truly understood, man, you, I'm dirty. I lie to my mom, and I know I'm not supposed to. And, and you, know, you don't have to have a, a history of selling cocaine you know, to experience coming out of spiritual deadness and blindness and darkness into spiritual light. But is this anything close to your story? You might have answers. You might have the outward appearance of being someone who's walking in the light. But you might be fooling yourself. And I would ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to search and reveal true things about you, about your life, about where you're at, where you stand before a holy God. His offering is simple. Follow me and you won't walk in darkness. Are you following? Let me pray. Father, that is a stunning invitation. And when we understand anything even close to the implications of that, it is, it is life-altering. It's mind-blowing. Lord, for those of us who have been there, where we didn't even know we couldn't see, we were satisfied with our little world, our little lives. We even can look back on pictures. Something pops up on a time hop, and we can look and go, Wow, I was, I was dead. I was dead then. I was blind. Now I see. Lord, for those of us who do see, would you remind us that we're in the light? Remind us that we don't have to stumble anymore, even when we try to, when we try to turn the lights out and say, all right, get away, I want to do my thing. Would you remind us that we don't have to do that? Lord, for those who are blind, Lord, there's nothing that I can say. There's no illustration I can give. I can't yell enough. There's nothing that man can do. Only a miracle of your Holy Spirit can burst light into darkness. I pray that you would do that. And even if it appears to be gradual, if someone has been sitting in this room for a few years or a few months or a few weeks, and Lord, they are just nervous every time. Lord, would you burst into their hearts, into their minds, into their lives in an unmistakable way. Lord, we thank you for this offering. We thank you for what it means, how it shows up in our lives. And we want to honor you much better than we do even now. Would you help us to see and walk in the light? We ask it only in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.